this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Dorian Keegan, as uh, a founder and CEO of AgeofMinds.com. We're going to be talking about uh, collaborative artificial intelligence. So, Dorian, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me, uh, tell me the premise for Age of Minds. What was going through your mind when you uh, came up with the concept? Oh, that's, that's a really good question. Okay. Uh, oh, it's going to be actually a bit of a long story. I have a long story on this one. Um, I've been doing video games for the past, you know, something like 16 years, right? Uh, including eight years of them at uh, Bioware, which is a really well-known uh, video game company. Of other people behind, for example, the Mass Effect series or Dragon Age, right? Or Baldur's Gate back in the day. Um, and so it kind of happened in stage. The first one is uh, I co founded uh, the Don Montreal Studio, which was, uh, you know, the, the mother studio was in Edmonton back in 2009. It grew from zero to, you know, 100 plus people. I really, really enjoyed doing that. Uh, that's kind of the moment where I realized that, well, Maybe entrepreneurship is my thing, actually. Um, and uh, another thing happened in parallel is I had uh, one of my really good friends uh, who used to work in the AI industry, uh, and later he'll be going into the industry uh, back about also a decade ago, and he was you know, working on advanced semiotics. And back then, we were already talking about how much you know, uh, video game and AI have to bring to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was really kind of a thing, the catalyst that, that maybe changed uh, industry to some extent, uh, was in 2014, my first daughter was born. Okay. And suddenly, I, I didn't care very much about shipping the next game of the year or even selling, you know, uh, really good games. I mean, I, I was working on things like Mass Effect 2 back then. You know, all these people killing to, to get a small position like they had. And it was super comfortable. It's just like I didn't see how this would impact the life of my daughters, which kind of became really my big party in life. You know, I had kind of a sort of parent moment. Uh, and uh, and I think for a greater purpose to some extent. Uh, and uh, and this is the moment where I started to have kind of a large thinking introspection of. What are the things I should be working on to make sure that the lifespan and you know the happiness of my daughter are are you know uh, uh, as positive as possible? Um, and you know, obviously, outside being a good parent, which is very important, uh, I came to a following conclusion: is I saw five big threats uh, or things that we need to work on uh, as a humanity. The first one was AI ethics. And I think you can already start to see the link to the company I'm doing. Okay. Um, the second one is energy. So energy can be explained in a very uh, simple way. is uh, consuming more energy than uh, what the Earth can provide. Uh, uh, and we need to solve that. Otherwise, we'll have big trouble. Uh, you have, obviously, other people working on this. Like, you know, that's uh, a good example, obviously. Uh, uh, solar will gain its time. Uh, long term, we need to harness. Anyway, energy is a big thing. Okay. Uh, third one is uh, drinkable water. By 2025, the drinkable water reserve of this world will be gone. Uh, by early 22nd century, everything will be gone. And humans do not care really well without drinkable water. <laughs> uh, now, don't get me wrong, but good things going on from a technological point of view. Maybe you covered it or not in this podcast, for example. 
we can transform and use cold water into drinkable water. It just requires incredible sponge, right? Um, uh, fourth one is waste management, and fifth one is climate change. And don't get me wrong, climate change is not that it's not a big deal, it's that we'll likely die of all the other reasons, right? Okay. <laughs> of climate change. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you may be wondering or not, why the hell AI ethics as number one, right? Um, and and uh, here, there is uh, uh, really something I, I, I recommend. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar a bit with a blog called uh, Wait But Why. Wait But Why. Wait But Why. I, I've heard it, but I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. No. Super good. It, it's Tim Urban who is doing it. And one of his superpower at Spin is to vulgarize very more, you know, deeper or complex concepts, right? And uh, he did a really, really good one uh, that is called the AI Revolution. Okay. Uh, it's kind of his second part, and his second part was our immortality or extinction kind of, uh, which is really a big summary. And you know, I, I, I because we'll run out of time, and we won't go through all of it. But uh, here are some very key concepts. The first one is creating an AGI, so uh, uh, artificial general intelligence, which is you know, right. an AI that is a small intelligence to us, or even a super AI, is one not science fiction at all, really not. And you have some big researchers who back this up. The second thing is it may or may not happen during my lifetime, but it is very, very likely to happen during my daughter's lifetime, right? Mm. And by the moment you reach AGI and very quickly beyond, uh, the impact this is going to have on humanity is not a slim one, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's very likely from a, a prediction it will uh, either help us will reach kind of more utopia or civilized type of society, or it may lead to our extinction, right? Right. So, so the possibility of this having a neutral <clears throat> impact but extremely slim, right? So, okay. And, uh, and so that's why it is on number one, is in many ways you can see it as it will heavily help us solve all the other problems, it will make all the other problems irrelevant, as to ethical challenges, you know, in the next couple and scale, the 10 years kind of scale, so it's just increased. I mean, when you think about it, it's the very first time that we're creating kind of uh, uh, another advanced form of intelligence, right? And that is rapidly growing. Uh, and when you see how computing power with uh, just, you know, quantum computing coming soon, as well as, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to do cloud computing, we're going to exceed our biological limit extremely quickly, right? And obviously, machine learning was just at the very beginning, and, you know, survival learning is relatively simplistic, but uh, when you see some of the potential behind reinforcement learning, which is what we're in, and then it's survival learning, so later on technique, I mean, it's, it's, it's growing extremely fast. Um, so, all in all, I'm working in AI, and I decided kind of back then, it was back in self-interesting, okay, that's, that's the space I need to be in. I, I need to do something. I need to, even if it's a little bit, try to nudge a bit humanity towards a good direction, right? And right. kind of for the sake of my dark. And my, my conclusion, and, you know, this is always heavily debatable, of course, is that within the AI sphere, you have obviously a lot of uh, uh, current day challenges, like, you know, uh, biases, you know, obvious one, or explainability of machine learning is another one, uh, and kind of bit more mid-term kind of direction, you have all this 
concentration of power, will be brain power, will be data, and things like that. Uh, uh, and the longer-term one, the key question I was trying to answer is really, what is the sort of relationship we want to have as humanity towards AGI or beyond, right? Right. And uh, when you think a bit about that problem, uh, you could almost separate it into kind of uh, uh, three big set of scenarios, right? Uh, and, you know, you may base yourself on science fiction, but also kind of the different writing that has been done. Uh, the first one is basically that, well, the relationship with humans are in control, right? We're making sure that basically AI is not steering out of a way that can harm us, right? Right. Uh, when you think of Asimov with the robotic laws, for example, uh, is, is, is very much... Otherwise, the Asimov, you. Yeah, and you have many things, exactly. Um, I think this world is interesting as long as we have artificial intelligence remaining with the way done, you know, kind of the level it is at where it is right now, even in the next five years. I think as a long term, this is very dangerous for our species um, for two reasons. The first one is thinking that you can control something that is eventually going to be smarter than you. It's kind of the analogy of having a monkey that is super happy to have put a human in a cage, right? Right. It'll and get out. The it, yeah. And, and the odds of it finishing well for the monkey are slim, right? Because you're kind of putting a sort of adversarial relationship. I don't want to anthropomorphize AI, but you're just increasing the risk of conflict, right? And even in the very best case scenario where you have like, no, no, you're brilliant monkeys. You have designed the uttermost perfect cage. What are the odds that out of the 10 or 20 billion of people going to be, there is just one person that he or because it has an agenda or whatever opens the cage to see what happens? I mean, those odds are 99.999, whatever. Well, not only that, with, with the AGI, once it becomes smart enough, it should exponentially get smarter from there. So I don't think there'd be any hope of you keeping it in a cage, even if you wanted to. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, this is something I haven't even dwelt too much, but the moment we create it, we have an uh, happening within a few hours. We have a limitation on limitation in a context where the limitation is just purely computing power, quality of algorithms, and energy. It, it, it will keep increasing, right? Uh, and so it will quickly outpace uh, kind of the level of collective intelligence that humans have uh, in an exponential way. Um, so the control scenario, in very short, is bad from a long-term point of view. It's kind of a way to increase the risk of basically you know, disappearing as a species, uh, which goes to the second set of scenario, uh, uh, which you know, I call it personal decentralization. It's just like, well, if AI is so smart and gets so smart so quickly, why even bother, right? Let, let it run things. Uh, there are some good science fiction books on that. There is one that is called the Sophia One that describes kind of the sort of utopian scenario where robots and such run everything and humans are living in a sort of hedonistic society where everyone is immortal and, you know, uh, and here we go. Uh, the big challenge, though, is that the likelihood of that happening are also a bit slim. Uh, if I know a bit about humankind, is what happens when humanity doesn't understand something and that something is doing things that are magic, which is your religion out of it. And so the most likely thing to happen in the second scenario is you just end up making a religion out of AI, right? 
and and don't get me wrong, it's a bit better than species extinction, right? But doesn't feel like the right way near. Which goes into the third scenario, which is obviously the one I care a lot about, which is that the relationship there is between humanity as an AI is a synergistic one, right? Okay. And synergistic relationship can be summed up into two sub kind of categories. The first one is well, human and AI are the same, problem solved. Uh, which is, you know, when you think of this, like initiatives from Musk, for example, like Neuralink, which is, you know, the brain interfacing, are going into that direction. You know, uh, there is companies are thinking kind of, you know, how to evolve into the cyborg. We have some others to how to upload our conscience to the internet. We have all this transhuman type of thinking. I mean, there is plenty of people thinking in that space, right? Uh, it's a really good one because in many ways you kind of force things, you're moving kind of all form of conflict and you're forcing kind of biology to evolve at the same level as technology. Um, so uh, I like that from, you know, again, a species future point of view. Uh, the only challenge with that scenario is, that a set of scenarios, should I say, is that the prediction, which may change, obviously, is it seems that it is more difficult for us to reach this true state of human and AI are the same. It's more difficult than reaching AGI. The level of technology required to reach human and AI are the same is bigger than the one to reach AGI, which means that by the time we reach AGI, there'll be a gap of hours, weeks, years, decades, centuries, between the moment we reach human AI scenario, which is, well, human AI, which is uh, human and AI are so much into the loop where the AI are learning from humans, the human are learning from AIs, and both biology as well as technology are constantly increasing and evolving together that the risk of misalignment between AI and human becomes slimmer and slimmer, right? Okay. And so, obviously, this is what we care about. My purpose, my goal, is I want to push as much as possible humanity into building collaborative AI, right? In the short term, because I believe a lot into uh, human augmentation rather than human replacement, as a general direction, right, from many points of view, from an economic point of view, from a species point of view. And long term, I see that as a way to heavily reduce the risk of misalignment, right? Mm. Okay. Uh, and, and so at that point, you're like, well, okay, all is amazing from a theory point of view, but how the hell are you going to do that, right? Um, and uh, so if you look a bit up to uh, modern machine learning, uh, it's really based into three key components, right? Uh, the first one is computing power. Uh, the second one is algorithm. And the third one is training, right? Uh, so obviously, computing power with many interesting things happening with quantum computing. It's also a domain that is heavily dominated in Amazon right now, you know, uh, major research. It's also a big domain of academics right now. And a lot of startups with companies get created on the third one, which is the training one. This is where there is a massive amount of points, right? Okay. Uh, and within, within training, I mean, uh, again, I, I imagine people listening to podcasts are a bit familiar with, uh, with what is going on in training. But you have, obviously, multiple training techniques, right? So, uh, the first one, which is the most common one today, is supervised learning. And more probably, supervised labeling learning, right? Uh, it's, and the reason why it's very common is because it's not anymore research and development. It's reality. It's application. It's about 
finding big data that you can use to, uh, you know, make uh, different prediction or uh, equation. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're very much into right now, if you look at the vast majority of AI companies, I, probably more than 80% of them, are about uh, training on big data, right? And so supervised learning is, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I vulgarize a bit, but uh, it's basically the eyes learning by example, right? Right. It's, you show five pictures of a cat to an AI, and you want to understand what a cat is. You show it five million pictures of cats, and it's capable to recognize cats, right? Sometimes beyond the human level, right? Uh, you could have, you know, very well training. I would be like, well, that vector is cats. And you'll be, oh, really, for me, it's vector, right? Uh, but there is a second technique which, for me, interests me a lot, that is still a bit in R&D space, even though application has started, uh, which is called reinforcement learning. And reinforcement learning is that basically uh, the AI is learning not by example, but by trial and error. You put it in an environment with a system, and it will try, fail, learn, trial, fail, learn, and we'll do that. Again, similar to the other one, we'll need to do that million times before providing some really good results, right? Mm. And so the story I often tell that you probably know about it is uh, Yeah, I've heard about in DeepMind. Yeah, it beat, um, it beat uh, the world's best Go player, right? Yes, yes. And uh, absolutely. That was back in 2016. But what was interesting is the model they had in 2015, they did a new version that is called AlphaGo Zero. Okay. AlphaGo Zero was trained without a single human example. It was trained by just playing against itself in a virtual environment and mm. playing like five million times against itself, right? right? That version beat the previous version a hundred zero. Wow. Uh, and, and, and when you talk to people who are professional Go players, they're like, the version of 2016 was really, really good human player. The version of 2017 is absolutely alien. It does things that you don't understand and with extraordinary results, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the state of the art will be on That gives you a bit the potential of learning compared to supervised learning, right? Right. And this is what interests us a because the best environments trend on reinforcement learning today are video games. What would, what would you call um, AlphaGo Zero? Is that uh, reinforcement learning, or what is that? Yeah, it's reinforcement learning, because it was playing again in the environment, the reward system. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and so what you see today is that you know, Microsoft is pretty much the game, because these games provide that environment where an AI can train, fail, and try again, and do reinforcement learning. Right. But but today's application are slim in the sense that uh, you basically training an AI to be really good at a video game. And so the end result is you have an AI that is really good at playing video games. That's awesome, but that's not how you're going to have, you know, more great societal impact, right? And so our premise uh, as a company is what happens if you build specifically a video game uh, to be for AI training purposes? So right from the get-go, the video game is basically built to specifically train AIs on reinforced learning and to train them on concepts that can be generalized outside video games. Mm. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. Okay. Uh, one of the big things that we realized is that, and that goes back to collaboration, is that if you want to train an AI to collaborate with humans, 
you don't have any ways with data today. Like it's not the data to talk to Siri or Alexa, whatever, will be good enough for you to be able to train to the next steps. It's also not current video games that will be able to help you because the relationship you have with AIs and games is so primitive that you cannot use that as a training ground. So what we're doing is we're actually building two things. We're building, on one hand, a video game that is about human-AI collaboration, which is absolutely new genre of games. And we basically use that as a training ground to be able to train collaborative AIs, right? We don't need to sell the game to millions and millions of users. We need to have at least 10,000 regular users per month to be able to start to train some interesting models. In parallel, okay. in ways similar to what OpenAI Gym has been doing, is we're building a platform for reinforcement learning with human training, which is basically a platform for researchers, for people doing AI development, to connect with basically uh, our games and so that it becomes kind of a large training ground, right? right? And our first game is obviously the first step of that platform, but we'll be doing more and more, uh, you know, as we want to enlarge what we can uh, do from a collaboration point of view. And so what we train on is on very specific uh, uh, aspects of human AI collaboration. So our long-term goal within five to 10 years is to become the standard for human to AI collaboration based on reinforcement learning. So what needs to happen in order for humans and AIs to collaborate? What does it look like? What's a model for it? So, so, so if you, I'm going to enter a bit into a, a, a video game uh, theory, right? Uh, for human and AI to collaborate, you need to have the following dynamics. You need to have the AI do things that are impossible for the human. So the human is incentivized to collaborate with the AI. And reversely, you need to have the human do things that are impossible for the AI to do in order for the AI to be intensified to collaborate with the human, right? Mm, okay. And so what that means is uh, you'll have the AI will be doing things that are already superhuman today, which is seeing patterns in very large amount of data, statistical analysis, or a massive uh, multitasking, for example, uh, which humans you know, are not really good uh, at doing. Reversely, what the human will be doing is a certain form of intuitive strategy, but more importantly, anything that touches human-to-human relationships. So think of it as bluff, mind games, uh, breaking, building alliances. There's a general notion that uh, most of the ML today is extremely is incapable to do and will be published by face another five years, right? And so you're putting a situation where both the human and the AI are respectively need each other. And this is when we start to collect interaction and data and basically start to train, uh, you know, your AI model. Okay. And so uh, I don't know how familiar you are. Are you a bit familiar with video game in general? Or, uh, yeah, I've played a lot of video games. Yep, definitely. So, so let me take an example of a, a very famous and common video game to try to explain a bit what would that mean, right? Uh, take StarCraft. Right? Yep, I played it. Uh, if you take StarCraft, StarCraft is based on uh, uh, a, you, you can kind of separate into the following key notion. You have a component of strategy, you have a component of tactics, you have a component of micromanaging units, okay. and you have a component of right? Yep. The very vast majority of doing right within those components. So for example, 
you could be a player who is really good at the high-level strategy, uh, managing your base, and you're kind of devolving most of your cognitive resource to it. And, you know, you really know matching your base, and then you select all your units, and you tell them, hey, you go fighting, right? Or in the opposite, you're a kind of skirmish type of player, really good at developing tactics and different skirmishes. You're microgening, like, your 40 units used by units, but your base is badly managed, right? There's, like, plenty of uh, wasted resources. Uh, in order to, uh, so the vast majority of players are good at certain things, except for poor players. Let's take the top 1% of players from South, at least have poor players. The capable to play on free is not for other dimension, right? Like matching like crazy a base while having crazy strategy and tactics and matching like 40 micro units all at the same time, right? If you're doing this with kind of an AI system, if you will, or now that collaborates with you, what happens is that any basic player becomes only a pro player. Because what happens is that a part of what you're doing is really delegated to the AI. And obviously, there are things that, you know, the AI will be significantly stronger at, like, for example, micromanaging plenty of units, right? As on the opposite, you know, building alliances, and in this case, StarCraft is a bad example because alliances are relatively weak in StarCraft. Uh, uh, but building alliances, doing blood and migrants is very much the domain of the human. I'll probably use EVE Online as a better example of more complex form of, you know, uh, alliances and relationships. So in the very short, what we're building is a game that has a very strong strategic and uh, diplomacy type of relationship. To give you an idea, one of the first parts I've been doing was an AI system layer on the top of a diplomacy board game, which has a reputation to be really complex from a, 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 a human-to-human relationship point of view. And the other part that we're going to make the pattern in the next couple of months is really the sort of training platform or kind of, you know, the beginning of the sort of opening action dedicated to human group training. No, you're going over StarCraft and the different strategies and everything, and then, um, you know, the possibility of machines being able to manage um, the tactical aspects while maybe a human player would do the, the high-level strategy and direct it and get feedback from it. Yeah, that's correct. So I took StarCraft as an example because it's one that people can relate. Obviously, the human-to-human aspect of StarCraft is not complex enough to really showcase kind of what we're building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was giving kind of example that we'll probably have more of a complex mind games or strategy alliance, not in games like StarCraft, but in games like EVE Online, for example, uh, or one of the prototypes we have been doing, for example, is adding an eye layer on the top of a board game diplomacy, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but is, is uh, really heavily complex from a human-to-human negotiation point of view. Uh, but so that's what I wanted to summarize. In many ways, we're doing two things. The very first thing is we're building a basically strategy game where both the human and the AI have, uh, are playing both equal and key roles to force basically collaboration and, and, and start to basically collect data and be able to train on this. The second aspect is you're building a platform. Uh, in many ways, like, you know, OpenAI Gym is a platform uh, that is really specialized in human involved training. Okay. So do you, do you have any specific uh, models where you're actually doing something like this, or is it just too early in the development of AI to have any of this? It's still early. We don't have 
We've been doing prototyping on email collaboration. We've been uh, uh, training some AI agents, for example, uh, to help and assist in the games of diplomacy, for example. Uh, uh, so we still at the early stage. Uh, we'll have fully trained model, kind of the MVP of trained model, probably in about a year and a half from now. Oh, not long. So you said a year and a half. You think you'll be able to do that? What's the um, the first um, instance of where you'll be able to do this this collaborative work? What do you think it'll be? So, uh, what do you mean? Oh, so uh, in real life application? Application period, whether it's real life or not. But where, where do you think the first example of this collaboration will be? Will it be in a game setting? Oh, uh, very interesting. Uh, so, I don't see that being. So, I think the first application it depends. We have many, many conversations going on right now. Uh, but the most likely field is going to be medical. Uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, it's just that there's a lot of money there, so we'll probably go there and be part because of the money. And this is one of the areas where they have really strong need for uh, AI that can collaborate with humans. It has a really large impact. Right? Um, so uh, I can tell you a few stories that portray to that, right? Uh, the first one is very well a few weeks ago. I had a really long conversation with a neuroscientist. And I was super interested to use human world training applied to neuroscience to be able to do applications that we use uh, anxiety or you know improve sleep uh, in kind of different patients. And so these are applications that we can probably develop within a few years time frame. Mm, okay. Uh, the second one are discussion I had that was only several months ago. Uh, with, with uh, IBM Watson and more importantly, uh, you know, uh, IBM Watson Healthcare. Well, they're already using uh, ML uh, quite a bit you know, to help with diagnosis and things like that. Uh, but one of the challenges is getting strong buying from, you know, the doctors. Uh, there's a part where, you know, they're always skeptical about the technology and that's fine. But uh, there is another very realistic part, which is that uh, 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 doctors have very different needs, I would say, like an ER doctor uh, is looking at information and all of this in a very different way than a research doctor, for example. And the AIs today are not really capable to, I would say, uh, to, to personalize themselves or how they communicate, how they interact with the different doctors. So one of the things we've been talking is about dynamic interfaces that will adapt basically to each of the different doctors based on, you know, are they looking for precise information? Are they looking for concise information? Right. Are they people who are something more visual, who have more audio elements? And then it doesn't really matter that, you know, uh, I'm a visual person, and then it doesn't matter if I'm a doctor, if I'm a businessman, or a video game player, I'll still remain a visual person, right? So there are things that you can pre-train easily within a, a video game concept, where you have these dynamic interface that adapts to every player, and then we can use that as a pre-training element uh, for dynamic UI. Wow. Uh, and what happened is that during that time, 
you don't have one person in the room or not even two. They usually have five to six person counseling the room. You have like the lead surgeon and then you have kind of uh, assistants that are most of the time other doctors, also sometimes interns. The reason why is there are so many things that can go wrong that you need to have all that support system, right? And so you'll have one person who is, I don't know, monitoring, for example, the heart of the patient, while the other person is monitoring the... Uh, uh, yeah, the, the kidneys. kidneys uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and all of that while having, you know, this surgeon is just, you know, focused on, I don't know, opening the skin, for example. Right? Uh, and so what he was telling me was super interesting. was like, today, we already have a model uh, that basically provides better monitoring than a human. Think of the heart rate monitoring, right? Why mm-hmm. having a human who can have ML slightly that and have to feel better? And the reason why they cannot apply it, and the reason why it's still need to have five to six person in the room, is because the body AI is not able to collaborate with anyone, right? Right. And you cannot have kind of your AI just beeping whatever the heartbeat is or telling different information where you have someone who's just focused on opening the skin. Like, it needs to understand the context, but now is not a good time to interrupt. Mm, or right. information is not relevant to what they need and things like that. And so these are some of the premises of collaboration. We call uh, content training or participation of information training. And similar things, these are things we can pre-train to basically pre-go simulation, right? If you're teaching basically an AI to not interrupt its main fire while doing a dark separation, using your personal learning as a reward system, then you can pre-apply that model after that with the medical field, right? Right. And so to understand a bit what we're doing, I didn't talk too much about that, is we're in many ways, what we do is what we call this pre-training, right? If you take uh, autonomous car today, right? A vast majority of autonomous cars are pre-trained in simulation. Actually, uh, one that is very well known is Deep Drive from OpenAI, which is kind of a modified version of GTA 5. They pre-train in video games or simulation, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And once they have a training, then they pull the training to reality with the sensor and things like that. So that's how they serve those training. In many ways, this is what we do. The pre-training is done in simulation in order to basically grasp or determine notion. And then after that, the server training of specific medical data and the specific context related to medical science is kind of the full training aspect, which is the second element. All right, well, we, we're, um, we're trying to, I mean, we're running out of time and stuff, but I want to give people, uh, again, a recap of what you're doing. I understand you're trying to develop models to help humans and, and AIs collaborate. Right. It sounds like we're going to need, uh, do you have any recommendations on some resources for people that are listening, uh, where they can learn more about this? Is it just your website or are there other resources you recommend? And, you know, the last question I want to ask you, it, yeah, tell me about some resources we can have for people to help them understand better. So we have very, very poor resources from a website point of view. We're still very early on, so our website doesn't have much information, sadly. Uh, this also is kind of still a lot of even research and development, so we're only starting to see papers appearing now and then. Uh, I'm trying to think what will be the best resources. And obviously, you have a lot of, um, you can learn quite a bit about reinforcement learning. Uh, there's been many papers published, probably with, you know, uh, by groups like OpenAI, uh, DeepMind, uh, you know, uh, I know a few researchers that have published on, you know, 
how to optimize trust, for example, like Jacob Crandall, uh, you know, or Curtin Learning. Uh, I think there's a paper today, Shaya, Matthew Taylor. So there's quite a few resources that you go at. Uh, human in the loop training is still very much in the infancy, so there isn't that much resources on the web, sadly. Um, and to go back to kind of more of a greater purpose than what I was mentioning about how AI is evolving, things like that. Yeah, I would totally recommend the evaluation from our team urban on way that's why to kind of understand kind of why is AI ethics so important for now for our species. Okay. Well, very good. So, um, you know, I appreciate you talking to me about this. It sounds like, you know, we're not there just yet, but there's a big need for it and it's coming soon. So I encourage people to go to ageofminds.com. And uh, Dorian, do you have any any last comments on uh, you know suggestions for people? Um, no, I think I think that was that was uh, I think I, I did to cover pretty much. I mean, we're we're living very much an interesting time. Uh, technology is progressing extremely fast, and uh, you know, obviously, I'm very interested into this because I've been part of a Montreal AI ethics group since the past year. Uh, is I think ethics in AI is is our biggest challenge as a species for the next couple of decades. And I would heavily recommend anyone who's even remotely interested by this to start to put their head into it. Uh, well, very good, Dorian. Thank you for being on the podcast, and I uh, I really appreciate your time.